Welcome to the Awaken Life Church podcast. For more information about our church, please visit awakenlifechurch.net. just because I'm here. You guys know how to do worship. Oh my goodness. Thank you. Oh. Do you have a CD out yet? I would buy it, seriously. I'm all into anointing, you know, anything that brings the presence of God. And you do it so quickly. It's like... This authority in your voice, it just shifts atmospheres. It brings people in. It's, you don't have to do it through the mind or trying to even encourage them. You just are it. So thank you so much. And I brought one of my best friends. We don't get to see each other, but I still consider you one of my best friends. We live in the same town. She works for us, but <laughs> we're always saying, we don't get to go out for coffee enough. Uh, I'm going to have her share a little today, too. Just She's a walking, revelatory bomb. <laughs> we love to just talk about God together because we spark off each other. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Oh, I love his presence. Just trying to think where I want to go. Um, I I have a real passion for being real. Um, have you ever heard that story, the emperor's new clothes? You know the story of you know the king wanted some fancy clothes for a parade, and he brings in all the best tailors and. There's this one guy who claims to have invisible material, and only the very wise can see it. And so the king, not wanting anyone to know that he can't see it and isn't wise, pretends, you know, like he he loves the clothes. And so he's in the parade wearing nothing but thinking that everybody else can see it until a little kid goes, Mommy, why isn't the king wearing any clothes? And that's when everybody realized, oh, there's really nothing there. And I had a moment in time where I I had gotten saved and it was real, but I had moved into, like I shared last night, just religion and performance and I could say all the right things. Yeah, God loves me. And, you know, he always provides for me. And I knew all the words. I just wasn't experiencing it. Yes. I was like a king with no clothes. You know, if, you, if you're really a Christian, you feel loved and powerful all the time. You don't feel shame or depression. So, you know, and it took me a while to realize I was naked. I was saved, but I was not experiencing what the Bible actually says we're supposed to experience. 
But I didn't want anybody to know because everybody else looked like their Christian life was great. And I have this passion to re get people to realize if you are not really experiencing victory in your heart, if you're not feeling powerful and loved, it's, because, it's not because you're not worthy. It's because no one's taught you how to access it. It's not something we access by the mind. It's by the spirit. And we actually, there is a way to begin to actually experience the promises of God. It's a process. Am I experiencing every single promise? No. One of the things that really hit me one day, I was meditating on the scripture in Numbers when God tells the people, you know, they're about to go into the promised land, and he says, I've given you the land. It's yours. Send some spies out. Check out. See if it's as good as I said it was. And the spies come back, and they go, yeah, it's just as good as he said it was. But there's giants in the land. And we can't, we can't overcome them. They're bigger than we are. And I was meditating on that, and I realized, <laughs> I think I know why they thought they couldn't take the land. Because we all have promises, health, provision, joy, peace, love. We have all these promises. And just like the children of Israel, God said, I've given you the land. The problem is, they probably, when they saw the giants, they're like, if God's given us the land, why do I have to fight for it? I mean, that's what we do with the promises. If, if, if he's really given me healing, why do I have to fight for it? Especially when so-and-so didn't. They accidentally got healed. <laughs> and then he reminded me of that scripture in Ephesians 6, where it says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it hit me. Oh, it's called a sword because you're supposed to kill something with it. <laughs> And can I suggest, if you've never killed something with the Word of God, you've never used the Word of God correctly. And I'm not talking about killing people. <laughs> I've had some religious people almost kill me with the Word of God. But we're supposed to kill the belief systems, the giant in our mind that is keeping us from receiving what God said is ours. He said he has provided for you. Now I have to kill the giant in my mind that says I never have enough. that I'm not worthy of provision.
I don't know why it took me so long to realize that I had to take Christianity out of just this vague theological thing <laughs> and actually on purpose know what my giant is and kill it. It's kind of like when Steve and I first started um, pastoring the first church we ever pastored and every Monday Steve wanted to quit. And he had this giant of discouragement. And first God said, Steve, your discouragement is a bigger problem than what you're discouraged about. Your circumstance is not your problem. The giant of discouragement is. Know your enemy. Even depression. What you're depressed about is not your problem. And it's not you. I have a book called Victorious Emotions, and it's not just for women. Men have emotions, too. <laughs> if you don't have emotions, this book's for you. <laughs> because uh, I'm going off on a rabbit trail. When God began to, you know, I had, I lived in a low-grade depression with heaviness most of my life with moments of joy. Wow. And God said, that's backwards. Yes. You should, your default should be joy with maybe moments of heaviness. Yes. And so when he started talking to me about my emotions, I'm like, great, now I have to be happy too, you know. <laughs> I'm doing everything I can to serve you, God. And, you know, there's just, let's be honest, some days it's hard to act happy. And he said, Wendy, I don't want you to work up an emotion of joy. I want you to understand that joy is a result of what you believe. Hope isn't something you work up. It's a result of your belief system. And we have to learn to believe something deep inside of us so that it when we're faced with a bad circumstance, our emotions aren't moved by it because we are so fully convinced that what God said is true. And I pick up the sword of the word of God and I begin to declare it out of my mouth daily, all the time. I went through a season when we were pastoring in Nevada. This was 1991 to 2001 where... I would put my kids to bed. I'd go to the church in the sanctuary. And I was just so desperate. I mean, we had, you know, had schooling and we had been trained to become leaders. We were ordained as pastors. And so we go out into 
Nevada to become senior leaders for the first time. And I'm thinking, yeah, I, I know the word and I know what to say. And I get out there and I find out everybody already knows everything I know. It's just that nobody's living it, myself included. So I got desperate. So I'm in the church every night, you know, the lights down, the windows covered. <laughs> Because when you're desperate, you don't look dignified. <laughs> Let's just face it. And so I, I realize I need God's wisdom. I need something more than I have. And in a, a certain um, Bible translation, there's a, a verse that says, he awakens my ear to wisdom morning by morning. And that became my sword. And I would walk around the sanctuary just declaring, he awakens my ear to wisdom morning by morning. I wasn't striving for wisdom. I was declaring that when I wake up in the morning, I've got it. That he's probably been speaking to me all night long with his wisdom. And I'd been doing that for a few months, and nobody knew I was doing that. But we had a guest speaker, and he came in on Sunday morning. He got up to preach. Or, excuse me, that's further down the road here. He set me up one Sunday morning about three months later, and I overheard two or three people at least go, oh, you should ask Wendy. She's full of wisdom. And I remember being so shocked because I'd never been accused of that before. <laughs> Ever. <sighs> and it was like, wow, this seems to be working. Something's shifting in me. I didn't, you know, I, I still prayed. I still, you know, read my, the Bible and the Word but I wasn't like striving to, oh, I need to know something other people don't know. It was I accessed a wisdom from the spirit realm and I convinced my brain it was available and that it was just coming on me. There was no striving, no stress. It just seemed to appear. And after that season... I started crying out for just, <clears throat> it was like, I know we need more, right? <laughs> and so I got this word in my spirit, freedom. We need more freedom. That's what we need. So another three months, I'm in the church just screaming out, freedom. Not even, and remember, this is like early 90s. This is before intercession looked like that. Now that's like, yeah, that, what, so what, Wendy? But well, back then, it was weird. So I'm crying out for freedom and just releasing it. And that's when the guest speaker comes and he gets up to preach about three months later and he he goes, wow, as soon as I walked into your sanctuary, I heard the word freedom. Wow. And I remember thinking, wow, that's amazing. And God said, Wendy, I just wanted you to know that 
That prayer has not fallen to the ground until it performs that which it was sent to do. Some of us, we have prayers and declarations that we've sent out and that it has not fallen to the ground. Because the word of God is a seed. Within it is the potential to produce something bigger than the actual seed. What if we use the word of God like that? Instead of trying to perform the word of God, what if we planted the word of God? Into the womb of our spirit and our mind. I heard somebody say once that the imagination is the womb of faith. And in Hebrew, when it uses the word imagination, it's actually, in Hebrew, it means a, a structure. Or it, I, I can't remember if it actually uses this word, but it's something similar to it being the, the, um, the womb and what, because, and remember last night I said, faith isn't blind, it's a visionary. So we actually get more faith when we can see in our mind's eye what God is going to do. I read a secular book on psychology once, and it was an interesting book because it was the psychologist used to be a plastic surgeon. So, you know, he would fix things, you know, fix people's noses or whatever needed fixed. But he was really troubled because he could make them look better, but he could not get them to feel better about themselves. And he was like, what is this? Why? So he became a psychologist to try to, you know, delve in deeper to our, our psyches, for lack of a better word. And the one thing I came away from, with, from this book was he said this, when the will and the imagination are at odds, the imagination will always win. And when I read that, I realized this is why, because I, I had some friends that had become Christians and they were still smoking or they were still doing things that they wanted to quit. And I would hear other Christians tell them, you know, if you really wanted to, you wouldn't be doing that. You must not love God enough. And I'm like, I know these people. I know they love God. I know they don't want to be doing this. So when I read that book, it hit me. Oh, they have the will to change, but they cannot imagine themselves different. If you're addicted to nicotine, you can try to will yourself to stop, but if you cannot imagine yourself more powerful than nicotine, you will always be enslaved to it. And so often, we're trying 
to will ourselves into a new experience, will ourselves into being what God said we're supposed to be. I, you know, he says, I, I'm holy, so I am striving and performing, and it just never lasts. Why? Because I cannot imagine myself holy. Because I keep using my experience to define me. It used to bug me. There was a song back in the early 80s um, about being the righteousness of Christ, which is based on scripture. We're the righteousness of Christ. And I remember mumbling over that phrase because <laughs> I had no proof of righteousness. And I remember God saying to me, he said, Wendy, do you have a problem calling a sinner a sinner when they do a righteous act? I'm like, no. If they've never accepted Jesus as Savior, they can do all the righteous acts they want, and they're still a sinner. And he said, well, you can't have it both ways. If a sinner cannot become righteous through righteous acts, then a righteous person cannot become a sinner by sinning. You're just a righteous person sinning. It doesn't change your DNA. We have to stop changing our identity by what we do. Has anybody ever complained to God about Adam and Eve? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like they sin and we all become sinners. That's not fair. And then God said, "Yeah, but Wendy." Just as through the one man all became sinners, through the one man Jesus all became righteous. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he says, you know what your problem is? And I'm like, what? He said, you have more faith in Adam's ability to make you a sinner than Jesus' ability to make you righteous. It's like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> He was so right. It's like we fully believe that what Adam did caused us to become sinners even before we sin. And we think it's so powerful. We have so much faith in the power of sin and death and not enough faith in the power of life and grace. This is how we access. All Christians, I believe, want to reveal the glory and the holiness of God. Nobody is, we think they're choosing to sin. But that's really not why they're sinning or why we sin, let's be honest. It's because we don't 
fully believe what's inside of us. We have not given it power. Whatever you focus on, you empower. If you focus on a negative nature that you carry, you empower it. We need to begin to empower by focusing. You know, you know what's really weird? How people get identity is because they, of what they focus on and remember, like a lot of people I know that think they're dumb or stupid are really quite brilliant. But they've had some dumb moments. Or they think they're failures. The truth is that every single one of us has actually succeeded more than we failed, but some of us have created an identity of failure around a few events. Why didn't you build an identity around your last great success? When you feel like you're not enough, it's because that's what you've been focusing on. The moments when you weren't enough. Why don't you start focusing on the moments when you were? Because you're going to empower it. I remember God telling me, Wendy, I want you to stop trying to fix yourself and just become something. You know, the Christian life is not about learning to die. Amen. Scripture says that's already been done. You were crucified with him. And I, I wasted the first 10 years of my Christian life learning how to die. And then God said, well, how dead can you get? <laughs> you know, pull that thing out. Let's kill it again. The Christian life isn't about learning to die. The Christian life is about learning how to live a resurrected life. How do you live as a resurrected being? Something that's never been before. That's why we have to stop using the past to define what we can do in the future. What would happen if a baby decided well, I'm not a walker because I've never walked before. What if it used every time it fell down as proof that it's not a walker? Why is that? And God told me, he said, Wendy, the reason... Toddlers or babies, when they're learning to walk, aren't depressed and they're not, you know, under this heaviness of, I can't walk, I can't walk, is because they're so convinced that they can do what their daddy does that failure doesn't move them. And we're born again of the Spirit. And we have to be so convinced that we can do what our daddy does. 
that failure does not move us. It does not change our identity or our DNA. In fact, when a baby's learning to walk, what do we do? They take a step, they fall, and we're all like, yeah, awesome, good, good job. We celebrate the one step. We don't focus on the 50 falls. <laughs> well, I don't think they're walkers. <laughs> yeah, they stepped, they took two steps, but boy, do they fall a lot. No, we use the one step as proof that they're going to walk. What about your life? Are you using your failure to determine whether you can do it or not? Or are you using the one step? Oh, I'm back into depression again. <sighs> but I had two hours of joy. <laughs> I must be a joy person. God actually told me, he said, Wendy, every time you fail, I want you to celebrate. And I'm like, what? You want me to celebrate my failure? And he goes, yeah, because you can't fail unless you've been standing. Even if it was just for a few seconds. I stood. This must mean I'm able It's something within me. I celebrate myself. And that's one of the things I talk about in the victorious emotions is we don't celebrate ourselves enough. There's this thing of, you know, well, I'll celebrate when I'm really good at it or whatever. And God began to talk to me about being conscious and aware of what happens in my body and my emotions with certain thoughts that I have? And what I discovered is that guilt and condemnation actually drain us and make us want to quit. Why would you want to have thoughts that make you want to quit? There's a reason why we celebrate their little steps. And we celebrate when they write their first letter, even if it's not any good. There's a reason we celebrate. Celebration, if you watch what happens in your body, actually releases a chemical of energy and the, the motivation to keep going. Why wouldn't we celebrate ourselves? Do you want to keep going? <laughs> Let's not settle in to just pretend. Just a, a, I got a quote from someone and I changed it because they weren't a Christian.
And this is what it says. This just sums up what I'm passionate about. Christians are left to shrivel and die on the plains of life because they're not introduced into the environment for which they were made. Christians are left to shrivel and die on the plains of life because they are not introduced into the environment for which they were made. When we get born again and our spirit comes alive with God, if we do not enter into the environment of the spirit called the kingdom, we will shrivel and die because your spirit was made for the spirit realm and it longs to go home. It longs to be in a place where it's no longer trapped in just a human body being held down by the, the laws of this world. Your spirit knows it was made for more. It knows it can do more. It knows it has authority to shift things and to release the, the word of God in power and authority and to heal. Have you ever seen somebody in pain and everything within you wishes you had an answer? And your spirit's like, I got it. I know the answer. And your brain is like, no, you don't. You just got some words. <laughs> I'll talk them out of their pain. Good luck with that. We are created for the spirit realm. We actually live in both realms at the same time. We're seated in heavenly places. We are the doorway between the two realms. Now's a good time to throw in some scripture, right? <laughs> Sorry, I can't read with my glasses on. Genesis 12, <clears throat> verse 1, I think. It's either one or two. God says to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. In Hebrews 11:8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. Can I suggest that, you know, the Old Testament is a, a sign of the spiritual, something happening in the natural to explain how the unseen realm works. Can I suggest that when you were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, it's a whole new country called the unseen realm, that now that you have a spirit alive within you, 
And it wants, it's dreaming of this country, this place. We have to leave our father's house of the natural and what we think of as our, our potential and our DNA and the identity we get from a natural father and step into a new belief system where we're spirit and our father is spirit. I mean, this only makes sense. If, if our father is spirit, <laughs> we are too. More proof. Hebrews 12.22. This scripture blows me away. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. It does not say, when you die, you will go to the city. Present tense, you have come. And it is our inheritance. The unseen realm is our inheritance. And we're afraid of it because the enemy has been going not through the gate of Jesus, but over the fence and stealing the unseen realm and its potential and made us afraid. We're the only ones with legal access to the unseen realm. But hardly anybody goes because we don't know how. Or we're afraid. I'm, I just feel like I'm supposed to give a bunch of scripture here. Isn't it amazing how you can read scripture and then you get one revelation and then it's like you read all the other scriptures differently from now on. So Ephesians 2.6. And God raised us up, past tense, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. This is not theology. This is a positional place that our spirit actually dwells in. When I'm praying for stuff in the natural, I don't want to pray as a human. I worship until I sense my spirit is in the very presence of God. Maybe I'm, you know, in the strategy of heaven. And when I feel like I'm there and my, my whole being comes into agreement that this is where I'm seated with Christ. And I pray from there to there. Because that's where the authority is. 
Ephesians 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Past tense. If he's already given me every spiritual blessing, why do I have to fight for it? Because I have to train my brain that there exists a realm and that there are resources in a realm, but you have to go there to get them. Where did he bless us? In the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. You know, sometimes we get confused when people seem to get, wow, they got a spiritual blessing and they didn't have to fight for it. I mean, is, there's nothing more irritating to me. Sorry if this is you, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know those people where you're like, wow, how did you become so prophetic and that anointing? And like, oh, I've been seeing since I was three. Bully for you, just. <laughs> What's wrong with me, you know? Um, but I felt like God said, you know, Wendy, because I thought he just sovereignly decided to, you know, oh, they've got such a big call on their life. I'll let them see since they're three. And Wendy will be lucky to, you know, see something once. I saw an angel once, whatever. And he said, you know, I did sovereignly pour out certain spiritual blessings on different people, whether it's in the prophetic, whether it's in evangelism, words of knowledge, um, whatever. But he said, I didn't sovereignly pour it out on them for the reason you suppose. I'm like, then why did you do it? And he said, so the rest of you would know what's available. When you see a powerful person walking in the spiritual gifts, it is not a statement about you. It's an invitation to you. That this is what's possible in the spirit. And we can go after it. Colossians 3.1 If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There's a preposition here. If you've been raised, seek the things that are there, that are above. We're trying to... <laughs> we're believing we're here and he's requiring us to search for things up there and that actually twists with our mind because it's like how can I see up there when I'm here right it says 
But if you believe you're seated in heavenly places, seek those things. Once you know that you already have access to that realm, begin to seek out the things of that realm. Begin to seek out the resources of an unseen realm. His realm is, is so far above the natural laws of this world. Only from the realm of the spirit can we change water into wine, begin to have food multiply, to walk on water, to walk through walls. When we know who we are, we will be able to do impossible things. Because the spirit, the spirit realm trumps the natural realm. And like I shared last night, the reason demon-possessed people can levitate and do all the weird things that they do is because they're influenced by the spirit realm. What would happen if you were influenced by the spirit realm? And until we start believing that we have access, permission, it's like, well, but we don't want to get too weird. Well, fine, then live as a human. There's a scripture, I think it's Proverbs, I can't remember where it's at, but it says, you were created as gods, but you will die like mere men. I'm not saying we're gods, but we are the sons and daughters of God. And I remember reading that, and I just, something in me goes, God, I don't want to die as a mere man when you have created me as a new creation with potential to change the world, to begin to arise and shine to the, the measure that kings come to your rising. Ephesians 4. 17, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Why do we keep limiting that to character? I'm different than you. I don't sin. I'm not walking like you Gentiles. Do you know, I've seen some sinners who actually walk with more character than Christians. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and the next part says, the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If we're walking just like the humans in the world, it's because we're walking from our mind and not from our spirit. 
because we feel more like a body than we do a spirit. And so we empower ourselves as a body, but we haven't empowered our spirit. We don't practice being spirit. We practice being human. What are we dreaming? What is in our imagination? What if we began to take scripture and use it as a, a spiritual seed that we have faith it's going to produce something that I'm going to begin to declare, he awakens my ear to wisdom morning by morning. And in my mind, I begin to see that I just wake up full of the wisdom of God. And I know what to do in the right time and the place. Because something was birthed in the womb of my imagination. And I began to speak the word of God. More scripture. Hope you don't mind, but it's all in here. Luke 18. And he, Jesus, said, to you... It has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's given in parables that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He's talking about you need to know the difference between seeing with your eye, seeing with the natural what they do not see because the eye of the spirit has not been trained. Because we have a hard time trusting when our spirit begins to tell us things. How many of you have kind of, you're in worship and you know, you're kind of in the spirit and you just, your spirit man kind of goes, oh, I think an angel just went by. And your brain goes, oh no, they just turned on the air conditioner. <laughs> And do you know what we do? We trust our brain more than we trusted what our spirit just said. The brain is supposed to be the student of the spirit. We should be training our brain to ask our spirit questions. My spirit sees everything that's going on in the room, in the unseen realm. So it behooves me to say, where's the angels in the room? What, what is God doing over here? What's he doing with this person? Why aren't we asking questions of our spirit? If it's already seated in heavenly places, we just don't trust ourselves. We don't trust our imagination. I remember I had this fear of, of really leaning into things that it felt like it was just my imagination. And so I'm like, oh, God, what if I imagine something that's wrong? And he goes, you do that all the time and it's never bothered you. <laughs> you imagined that you were a failure. You imagined that not enough money was going to come in. And it did. Why is it okay to imagine negative things that are wrong, but don't imagine anything good and be wrong? 
Where's our logic? The thing is, is if the, when the will and the imagination are at odds and the imagination always wins and imagination is the womb of faith, then we need to on purpose begin to imagine something. That's how you learn. Maybe it doesn't come out, but you don't go, ooh, I guess I don't, I can't do this. I mean, don't jump, you know, imagine that, you know, someone's going to ask you to marry them or something and, you know, then try to make it happen or whatever. <laughs> you know, I think for me, my biggest thing of faith and the things that I declare aren't something I do as much as it is something I am. Because we cannot sustain an outer environment that is not congruent with our inner environment. I can't imagine myself successful without dealing with the belief systems that, you know, I'm not worthy. God just wants me to disappear. If God just wanted you to disappear, why did he create you? Yeah, I'll create these, these beings and then hope they just disappear. <laughs> he loves you. He loves your uniqueness. He wants you to show up. But he wants you to show up as a, a spiritual being, placing faith in what you are and the ability to, to change things. Just a few more. John 10, 9. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we all know that scripture, right? But have you ever read the rest of it? And they will go in and out and find pasture. In and out of what? He's not talking about when you die. When you die, you don't go in and out. Could it be we've never found pasture because we don't go in and out? Our spirit is left to die on the plains of life because we've never allowed ourselves to experience a realm that our brain has never seen. We don't allow ourselves to experience a place that is so much higher and so much more powerful than this natural world. When God created man, he created us to have dominion. You know, a lot of times we think, you know, God created man and then he sent the devil to try to, you know, keep us under and, you know, let's see how well they fight. That's not true. 
Satan was cast down on the earth. He was already here. And then God decided to create man to punish him. We're his punishment. He's not ours. But we have to know. We have to have more faith in the kingdom of light than the kingdom of darkness. And we need to know how to enter into the kingdom of light. You know, when an ambassador goes to another country, they are not held to the laws of the country they're living in. And furthermore, they have the right to go back and forth between two, these two countries because of the position as an ambassador. You are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And we are supposed to go back and forth. A lot of times the ambassadors, they're required to go back to their home country for a season so they don't get caught up in the culture and beliefs of the country they're ambassadors at. If we don't want to get caught up in the country that our body is in, we have to keep going back to our home country. We have to remember how it feels to be one with Christ, to be glowing with the very presence and glory of our God, and to know how big he is and his love wants to be expressed in this country that we're sent as an ambassador to. And like I said, they're not held to the same law of the country they're in. I don't know if it's still true, but I know years ago, they could actually do something illegal and the police couldn't do anything about it. And actually, the um, embassy is considered belonging to the country that they're from. That's why they can do anything in there that they want. Let's bring that down to this. We're spiritual beings from a country called the kingdom. And we are not held to the same standard of laws that this place is. That's why you can walk on water and raise the dead, heal the sick. Because you have a whole new set of laws. Matthew 23, 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. This scripture does not make sense if you're thinking it's, oh, 
You're, you're not entering into the, the kingdom when you die. It only makes sense if it's saying, as a Christian, you have the right to go in and out. But religious people are uncomfortable with the spirit realm. They're just like the Pharisees, and they will try to keep you out of the land that you were born from. What you were created for. Think of the authority that you will sense on yourself when you stop thinking of yourself as a human and you think of yourself as a resurrected being sent by God to take authority over the enemy, to set captives free, to bring joy for mourning. I love jokes, but I don't believe that we bring joy by telling, I mean, we might, but not, not the kind of joy he's talking about. There is a substance to the things of God's realm. Uh, years ago, when I had my very first vision, this was in the probably mid-90s, and Steve and I had gone to Bethel at a conference, and back then, it was kind of like, you know, Toronto, where after the message, they'd move all the chairs, and everybody would stand on lines and get prayed for, and I was just so hungry, and I went forward, and I'm standing there, and I have my first vision, and in this vision, I'm standing on a little hill, grassy hill, and I see Jesus walk up to me, and we can communicate without talking, because we're spirit. I knew what he was thinking, he knew what I was thinking, and I knew he wanted to dance with me, and I remember thinking, because <laughs> the church I got saved in didn't believe in dancing, so... I'm kind of like, ah, you know, do I lean into this or not? And I heard Bill Johnson's voice in my head talking about just, just lean into it. Just trust it. See where it goes. You know, we have to have more faith in his ability to lead us than Satan's ability to deceive us. So I'm like, okay, I'll dance with him. So in my imagination, in this vision... We're kind of waltzing, but my head's down because back then I really had a low self-esteem. And if you know shy people with no self-esteem, they don't like to look people in the eye. And I know he wants me to look up and look him in the eye. And so I finally gathered my courage and I look him in the eye and I saw two things. The first thing I saw was that he completely knew me. He knew every weakness, every sin, every part of me. And this was important when I thought back to it later, because when people used to say how much they liked me, I used to think, yeah, but if you really knew me, you wouldn't. It's like they're not seeing the real me. Years later, God said, yeah, no, they saw the real you. You couldn't see the real you because you've been focusing on all these weaknesses that you forgot what you were. But anyway, so I, I see this knowledge. I mean, just, 
it, it was in a second, but I knew he knew everything. There was no room to say if you really knew me. And the second thing I saw was that he was in love with me. This unconditional love. But it wasn't what my concept of God's love was. It was the difference between I can love all you guys, but I'm in love with my husband. I chose him with all of his weird quirks. <laughs> and knowing full well that he was going to be leaving peanut butter on the cupboards. It's like, I know, see? So I see this, this love that went way above and beyond what you know, my thought of love was, he's in love with me. He actually likes my quirks. He likes the way I think. He likes me. He loves me. So I have this vision, and as soon as it was over, I start doubting it. Was that just me? I, I, I need God so much, now I'm making stuff up in my mind. And I was so confused and so doubting that I didn't even tell my husband about it on the way home. It was just, was this really God? We get back to Nevada. It's like an eight-hour drive. And the first Sunday, I sit down, and a friend of mine sits down, and she goes, remember, this is the early 90s, and she goes, Wendy. Have you ever danced with Jesus? <laughs> and this was before. It's quite common now. But, I mean, nobody asked that question back then. And my jaw dropped, and I'm like, how did you know? And she goes, well, while you guys were gone at the conference, I was in the prayer house here in Round Mountain, and... Jesus came in, and we started dancing, and while I'm dancing with Jesus, I said, oh, Jesus, this is so cool, but nobody's ever going to believe I danced with you. And Jesus looked at her and said, Wendy will, she has. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Years later, this is what really got me, is I was sharing that story at a, I did an um, encounter seminar. I'm sharing that story, and in the back of my, you know, sometimes when I'm preaching, God's talking to me, it's like, you know, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> but I hear him, I, I, I say that Wendy has Wendy will, she has. And he goes, did you notice I didn't say, oh, Wendy's imagined it too. Because in the unseen realm of his kingdom, it was an actual event. That my imagination was like a movie camera recording an event that happened in a realm that is not this realm. 
And there are some of you who have imagined things that have changed your life, and you think it was just God painting a picture in your imagination so you could get the revelation. And I'm here to say it was an, an actual event that your spirit partaked in. Because if we do not give it its rightful authority and, and understand the unseen realm and the seen, it will always just remain as some vague thing. But what was really amazing is my life changed from that event. I started having people say to me things like, I feel so loved by you. And I would think, why? I haven't done anything for you. <laughs> because in my mind, the only way to show love was to do something. And God's like, no, you had an encounter with love, and now you carry a substance that influences people. And then one Sunday morning, I was sitting in the front row, well, standing in the front row, and there was a teenage girl that I knew who she was because my kids were in high school and um, small town, remember. And she comes in and sits in the back row and She's just like got all over her this stay away, I'm here, but don't talk to me. And I'm sitting in the front, and God says, Go give her a hug. And I'm like, <clears throat> You may not have noticed, but she doesn't want one. I don't like to be rejected. This is going to look weird. All that, you know, you know how our brain tries to, tr to teach you. Trust me from your past experience. You can't do that. But my spirit kept saying, no, God wants you to go and give her a hug. So I did. And I wasn't polite about it. I wasn't about to say, can I hug you? Yeah. I'm on a mission. It's like, I want to worship, so I'm just going to do this and get it over with. <laughs> so I walk up to her. And I just, you know, she looks at me and I just put my arms around her. And as soon as I did, a substance of love fell on us so thick. And she just began to weep and cry. And she wouldn't let go of me. And she's not that type of a girl. I knew what she, you know, her personality was. But she grabbed onto me and would not let go to the point where after a while I'm like, can I let go? <laughs> you know, it starts getting uncomfortable after a while. But it was like my first experience with feeling a realm. I had felt darkness before. We had gone back to where my parents live one year in California, and we had this major earthquake. I mean, huge shopping center, you know, caught fire, burnt down. I mean, it, it was a big earthquake. And 
People were afraid to go back into their homes. They were pitching tents on the front yard. And I remember feeling it was like a spirit of fear had just settled over the place. Have you ever heard that phrase, you know, it, it was so bad you could cut it with a knife, you know, the tension or whatever. It was like that. And I realized, yeah, you know, darkness and spirits of darkness can be felt. Then why can't light be felt? Why can't love be felt? I'm not saying stop doing things, but what if we actually begin to have faith that we carry a substance that will affect people? Who was it? Um, was it Oral Roberts who, whenever demon-possessed people touched his left or right arm, they would just get delivered? <laughs> yeah. I may be wrong, but I mean, I'm like, this is my dream. Walking by and someone accidentally gets delivered. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> my bad. One of my favorite stories of Brian Johnson, this was when they still lived in Weaverville and Bill was pastoring there, and Brian Johnson would go down to Reading. It was an hour away. He'd plop himself down in the major shopping mall and just worship. He'd just get lost in the presence of God. And he said one day he's there just worshiping, and this guy walks by, and he gets just past him, and he stops, and he looks back, and he comes over, and he takes all of his drugs and all of his drug paraphernalia, puts them at, at Brian's feet, and then just walks away. I'm like, what happened there? And then when we were pastoring in Weaverville, I was preaching one Sunday morning, and, you know, to me, it was like, Normal Sunday morning, preach a message. And then a year later, this girl who I actually knew her because Weaverville's a small town too. And she was a drug addict. And so a year later, she walks up to Steve and I and she goes, I just wanted to show you I have my year pen of being clean and sober. And we're like, oh, we're so proud of you. That is awesome. And we're like, you know, what happened? And she goes, well, a year ago, somebody invited me to church. And I was, I had just come off a two-week binge. And, but I thought, oh, I'll go, you know, to church with this friend. And she said, while I'm sitting there and you're speaking, something you said penetrated my heart. And I was instantly delivered. She became sober. And she was free from all of it, and now she's actually a Christian counselor. Her life was turned around accidentally. Because I believe in the substance of 
God. And when we speak, you know, Jesus says, my words are spirit and life. What if we actually believed that when we spoke the word of God, they are spiritual and they can actually do things that we're even unaware of? Steve and I went to um, Iceland and before we went, the pastor who had invited us wanted to translate one of our books into Icelandic. And if you've read any of our books, none of them are in evangelistic. I mean, they're written for Christians. And so we get there, and the pastor tells us this story that the publisher that was publishing the book was reading it, you know, proofreading or something. Maybe he was the editor. And he accidentally got saved. <laughs> Something in the book called him. Do you know how much we struggle trying to, oh, I want... I've got to have just the right words to speak for them to be saved. Or I've got to say just the right words when I pray for them to be healed. Or just the right words for whatever it is they need. Why don't we believe that we are carrying something that is so powerful and so full of life that it doesn't matter? You can say peanut butter. And they're like, wow, I'm healed. When I started doing public speaking, it was, you know, like I said before, I was very shy. And my identity was that I cannot speak in public. Why is it that the very thing that we're afraid of and Satan's convinced us is not part of our personality. It's like, he just doesn't want you to know who you really are. So I'd been getting these prophetic words about being a teacher. And Bill Johnson had come out to our church in Nevada, and he was dreaming. Because back then, this was early 90s, he was still pastoring in Weaverville, not Reading. And back then, he would dream out loud from the pulpit. And I remember this one phrase because it changed my life. He goes, he was so after the things of the Spirit and seeing the kingdom established. And he goes, there is coming a day when all we're going to have to do is say peanut butter and people will cry out, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> and as soon as he said that, I thought, Oh, I can say peanut butter. <laughs> a lot of you are saying, I'm not evangelistic. Can you say peanut butter? How <laughs> do I remember when I got that? And God said, Wendy, I don't want you to have faith in the words that you say. I want you to have faith in my ability to anoint what you say. Yes. Wow. 
when we're trying to find just the right words, we're, we're praying and thinking from our mind, not from our spirit. We're not doing it from our identity. We're, we're trying to get something that we think is way out there instead of releasing what we are. What if we believed in that realm? We were so convinced. I mean, actually, for I had a year in my ministry where God would not let me pray out loud. He said, I don't want you to have faith in what you say to convince them to receive healing. I want you to focus on what you are and allow it to just impart. You know, when people were being healed by the shadows of the disciples, the shadows didn't go, oh, in the name of Jesus, be healed. The presence healed. I don't have anything against words. We just can't have our faith in the words alone. It's when we speak the word of God, his words are spirit and they are life. And they do something totally above and beyond speaking to someone's mind. I started praying, God, when I speak, I'm going to start believing that even if I say it all wrong, they're going to hear it right. Because I got tired of stressing over it. And so I just raised my belief systems. So, you know, and, and that's what I really like to do. I hate being stressed. So now it's like any, any thought that I get stressed about is like, I just need to raise what I believe so it's not on me. For instance, one of the things, Steve and I used to say, we have favor with both God and man and one day I accidentally said, we have so much favor, even if we tried to get people to dislike us, we couldn't. Yeah. And it, you know how things come out of your mouth before you think them through. And I'm like, well, was that even legal? What? Where'd that thought come from? And as I'm thinking that, I hear God say, I just wanted you to, you know, I put those words in your mouth because I wanted you to know that favor is not just from performance. It's also a spirit. Wow. It changed my life because I started declaring that and it was like, oh, if God wants you to like me, you will. <laughs> if you're crucial for my destiny... God has this spirit of favor. And for some people, it's a generational blessing. I've seen people that are jerks that have so much favor, it's ridiculous. You know, the rest of us are striving to get good jobs, and then these jerks come in. And... But we don't understand. They're actually living from a generational blessing from their, their past. But it's a spirit. And when we begin to actually have 
focus and understanding for how the spirit realm works, that there is substance to it. That if spirit created this realm, then guess what influences it? If spirit created this realm, then this realm is subject to spirit. Even dark spirits. Do we believe it? Do we know? When I, I remember once I was praying for someone and we actually we were counseling and kind of praying and this person just could not get what we were trying to say. I mean, they were in confusion. Um, we were speaking truth, but they kept having arguments against. And um, so I'm like, I don't even know what to say now. So I'm like, let's just pray. And we're standing there, and I got my hands on her, and I'm trying to think of what to say. Because maybe she'll get it if I pray it. And God says, I don't want you to pray out loud. I want you to just be light. Because the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. Do you know that it, that's not a sweeping statement of it's blinding the eyes of those who aren't saved? We can be a Christian and be unbelieving in certain areas of God. Maybe an unbelieving um, stronghold of, about healing or whatever. But the God of this world has blinded the eyes. So he's darkness. And he blinds their eyes. Your light. What does light do? Reveals. So I'm starting to pray and he says no just be light so I in my mind because I'd practiced this just in my devotions I like to become one with God what's it feel like to be one with God what does it feel like to, to be one with light to, to sense the glory radiating off and so I just focused on light and Jesus in me emanating this light that, that covered this whole room. And I didn't say a word. I just became light. And all of a sudden, she began to cry. And she goes, I see. I see. And then I also had one more story, and then I know you've got something to share. I, I was doing a sozo with a lady, and, um, I, you know, I like to experiment. It's like if, if I feel like something popped into my spirit and my brain heard it, you know, I don't let my brain very often just go, nah, that can't be God. I'm going to try it. So I, I'm 
sitting in front of this girl, and we'd been going around and around in, in this healing thing and trying to get her to see Jesus. And I felt like God said, he didn't say it. Actually, what he did was, I'm looking at her, and I literally feel Jesus step into my body, and I can feel him looking through my eyes. And I, I felt like he said, tell her to look at you. And so I look at her, and I go, look at me. And my belief, I mean, it was just so bizarre that I had no doubt. Jesus is looking through my eyes, and she's going to see Jesus, not me. And I look her in the eye, and I think this was a thing where just, he just said, I love you. And she just began to break and cry. And she's now actually a really close friend, and she said she did see Jesus in my eyes. This is normal Christianity. If we can get our brains into agreement with what we are and what we carry, that light is so much more powerful than darkness, that if a coven of witches can build a stronghold of provision, of perversion, thank you, I knew I said that wrong then every time we gather together and take communion, we're building a stronghold of righteousness and the blood of Christ. If we understood that when we get together in worship, we're not just worshiping, yes, that's true, and we're entering heaven, we're building a stronghold in our city, and we have to start believing in it. That what we do affects this natural world when we're doing it in the spirit and from the spirit. You are not weak. You are light. You may have experiences of darkness, but you are light. And whatever you focus on, you empower. Is this exciting? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's good to be a Christian. <laughs> I just have to shake off my old belief systems that have limited me. Come on, Connie. <laughs> Wendy gets me so fired up. Oh, my goodness. Well, I love... How, she was, how you started off talking about the king. Because the thing that I was praying about this morning, up here, I'm like terrified of my own voice. <laughs> it's like rattling. <laughs> I was praying this morning, and I just had the picture of a broken king. And the crazy thing that I heard in my spirit is there's nothing more demeaning, nothing more demeaning that the earth can't stand than a king that is broken. And I just saw a picture of a king that was bowed into a slave. And he was like stripped not just of his robe and of his crown, but of his title, of his dignity. And he was being beaten, uh, beaten, beaten by an enemy over the very people or entities that he was the king over. And the Lord said, that was the entire human race. 
All of humanity were created to be kings, created to have dominion. And when Adam and Eve, the interesting thing with Adam and Eve is they were not a regular creature like the things that God created. They weren't like the rocks and the mountains and the grass and the birds. They were created in his image. I love this. I came across this story in Genesis. Have everybody found Genesis before? Go back and reread it. There's something so profound when you go through when it talks about, when he gets to the part about life, when he says, you know, let the earth bring forth, blah, 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 and let whose seed is in itself, they'll reproduce after its kind. Then he moves on to the animals whose seed, let these animals come up whose seed is in themselves and let them reproduce after their kind. And he goes, the birds of the air, on and on. But he gets, there's like this pause and he says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, whose seed is in themselves, who reproduce after the God kind. This is what Adam and Eve, they weren't like anything else that was created. They were created like God, the offspring of God, to be like him in form, in nature, in every possible way. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was not about the sin. It wasn't about the mistake. It was about them taking the crown of being like God in every single way and surrendering that crown to the very enemy that they were meant to have dominion over. They forfeited their position they forfeited their sonship. They forfeited their glory. And then we all know what happens to us because of it. One of the things that I just stumbled across is that they were to be reproducing again and again and again after the God kind. Adam and Eve were to reproduce children that look like God. Sons and daughters that looked and thought and behaved and created like God. And instead, they produced a Cain that killed an Abel. They produced a son that killed another son. And you know, the history of humanity, humanity beginning to take on the image of, of the enemy, cowering creatures. You know, sin is not what makes us cower. It's not what makes us beggarly, and it's not what makes us ashamed. It's the lack of understanding who we are that causes us to be cowardly and beggarly and to approach the Lord as if he doesn't see us, doesn't know us, doesn't want to help us, but we know he's our only answer. And when Jesus went to the cross, it, to me, it's one of the most amazing stories we will ever hear. He didn't go to the cross just to take care of sin. Sin was just a byproduct of, of Adam and Eve surrendering their title, surrendering their position. Jesus went to the cross to get a crown for you. And I love this, you know, and I, I don't demean this, but you always, you know, you in worship, you know, it's like casting our crowns, casting our crown. I feel like the Lord one time spoke to me and said, why don't you hold on to that until you know what it's for? Wow. And we're just being so blown away because we always want to, you know, lower ourselves and lower ourselves. And like there's this wrestling match. We're trying to throw this crown at the feet of Jesus. And he's like, I do not need your crown, but you need mine. What Jesus did wasn't just to forgive us of sin. That was just an automatic it was to restore us to dominion as sons and daughters, offspring of God. The Bible says that we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. I love that Wendy talks about sitting at the right hand of the Father, positionally. And it is revelation that we are, you know, the interesting thing, and I'll, I'll end it with this, but the interesting thing to me is that the enemy could care less if you believe in Jesus. He believes in Jesus. He's fully convinced that Jesus exists. He doesn't care if you go to church. He goes to church. Doesn't care if you read the word. He knows the word. 
What he starts to pay attention to is when we begin to believe the word. Then his ground gets shaky. Because Christians don't scare him. A Christian is somebody who's accepted Jesus Christ. The ones that scare him are the ones who figure out who they are. They figure out the they figure out the position of dominion that they're in. Those Christians are terrifying to him. Because it's when you begin to believe Jesus. I can believe in him all day long when I begin to believe that I am the righteousness of God. His very righteousness was gifted to me. I can't earn it. God looks at me the exact same way that he looks with the same affection and adoration that he looks at Jesus. And he sees me as being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. When you read in Hebrews, it says Jesus was the brightness of the glory of God. When you saw him, he was the express image of God himself. Jesus took all of that glory and he gave it to us. And I just, I said I'd end with that. Okay, now I'll end with this. <laughs> It's so important, and I know we all know this, and we're all growing in further revelation of this, but Jesus was already glorious. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead, and it was that power that he ex you know, that exerted in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead, set him at his right hand, which is his right hand of dominion and power and authority, so it gives him the name above every name, that everything bows to the name of Jesus, all dominion, all power, all might, everything is under Jesus. And here's like the thing that, that just blew my mind one day, it already was. Jesus was the word. Jesus was with God. Jesus was God. He was already glorious, already powerful, already crowned above everything. Everything that has existence, might, dominion, power, all of it was created by him. And now the Bible says that he's raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, and he's raised and given dominion and given power and given authority. I'm thinking, that doesn't even make sense. He already had it. He had it as God. He obtained it as man because we didn't have it. We gave it away in the garden, and Jesus did not fail in his purpose. His purpose wasn't to save us of sin. His purpose was to redeem us back to sons and daughters of dominion. When you see yourself the way the enemy sees you, his story is up in your life. When you realize that he sees you and you look like Jesus, he's just hoping you won't figure it out. And it's too late. It's too late. We are the sons and daughters of God himself. And everything that makes him God, he has put inside of us. The Bible says that the, the precious promises are what cause us to be partakers of the divine nature. Not to know about the divine nature, to be partakers. It is who we are. It is what we are not just called to do and to be. It is the very essence of everything about us. Amen? Amen. Told ya. When she was talking about, you know, the name of Jesus, everything bows its knees, um, I like to get practical, you know, because I've been talking about faith is visionary. And so one of the things I like to practice is picturing cancer cells bowing when I say the name of Jesus. What is it in your life? 
that hasn't bowed. Spend a few minutes every single day picturing it bowing. Is there something you're in bondage to? Picture it bowing. I love Joyce Myers and her life story is amazing. But one of the things that really shifted things for me was when she was addicted to cigarettes early in her ministry and she was just leading little, you know, women's Bible studies and stuff, but she would lead the Bible study and then she would go to her car and get on the floor of the back seat and smoke a cigarette, but she didn't want the rest of them to know she was doing it. But this is how she was set free. She would take a puff and she would say, I am delivered from nicotine. Nicotine has no power over my life while she's smoking. Until one day she believed it. One day she was convinced, yeah, nicotine isn't that powerful. I've made my God more powerful. What is in your life? Is it poverty? Is it lack? Jesus. Faith is visionary. Take things like that and begin to see something different. Instead of, yeah, every time I try to quit, I just keep falling. I just keep going back. No, I am more powerful. The light in me. You keep falling into depression, depression, bow the knee to the name of Jesus. Depression will bow its knee to the name of Jesus. The light of God causes depression to just disperse. Picture it. Picture it losing its power over you. Picture it, picture it, picture it. You know, that's to me what our devotions are supposed to be about. When Jesus would go and leave the disciples and the people and go on the mount to pray. Sometimes we think, you know, he prays like us. I don't think he was there, oh, tomorrow I pray that I can, you know, heal the blind and, you know, God, do this, do that. I think that he just would get away with God so he could remember what he was. Looking in a mirror. I'm trying to see if I had time. Do you need any time? I can hold this story off till later, but... Okay. I, I read a lot. Um, and I was reading this non-Christian book, but it was kind of on faith, you know, the unchristian version of it. And um, he said something about people read books, but they never do what the book says. <laughs> so I'm like, guilty? Yeah. 
Um, and so later in the book, he recommends reading this book by this acting coach from the 60s. It was this lady that had coached really famous people like Marlon Brando. And, you know, if you're young, you, you may not know who that is. But anyway, she was a famous coach, acting coach. And he said, to the effect, you should get this book that she wrote and read it. So I'm like, okay, I gotta do what it actually says in the book. So I get this book, and, but on the inside I'm like, I'm not interested in acting. Why am I doing this? And I knew once I got to this one chapter where she was talking about um, Laurence de Olivier back in the real old days. And he was a good actor, but he, especially when he was on Broadway and doing plays, he would get all dressed up in the character that he was going to portray. And then before he would step on the stage, he would look in the mirror and tell himself, I'm, you know, Othello or whatever part he's playing. And he said one day, he just, you know, his old habit, he looks in the mirror, and he said he actually saw himself as Othello. It wasn't something he said, I'm playing the part of Othello. He became Othello. And he went out on the stage, and he had one of those magic moments of acting where it was so powerful that when he was done, the whole audience surges forward and they can't stop applauding. And, and it was just like this moving moment that probably every actor dreams about having. And he gets done and he goes to his room and his co-star follows him and she goes, what happened out there? And he just looks at her and he goes, I don't know. But I read that and, you know, for some reason, I can read non-Christian stuff and the Bible yeah. pops up into my head. <laughs> so I'm like, looking in a mirror dimly. What if there comes a moment when she said, we're the righteousness of Christ. And we're like, we're, we're still thinking that we're actors on a stage acting the righteousness of Christ. What if we have this moment of clarity, of transformation, we look in the mirror and we actually believe that this is who I am. And all of the people begin to stand and applaud because they see you're no longer acting. They be I've become one. Don't you love it when you see moments in people's lives that it's like they finally just break free? They're not being hindered by their brain and or whatever. You know. That's why I... I used to not understand this whole new thing about, you know, worship videos. You know, it's like, it's a song. I, I just need to hear it. 
but I've been really getting stuck on, you know, like Elevation and Maverick City and, you know, Brandon Lake, because they have these moments. They're in the midst of singing, and everything within you realizes the real them just showed up. And they just shifted the room, and the applause comes. Not because they sing great, but because they showed up. And we see them in all their glory. And we're like, oh no, we don't want glory. Yeah, you don't want to steal God's glory, but he did give you glory, so you might want to receive it. It's time to stop trying to reveal a gloryless Jesus. Stand up. Show up. Allow your spirit. Train your body. That's why during worship a lot of times, I make myself dance. I make myself do arm movements because I want my spirit out. I want to show up. I don't want my body to imprison my spirit. You can only do it this way. I'm going to make my, my body submit and allow my spirit to tell it you know, and my brain is like, oh, you're so graceless. You have no grace. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm coming out. Freedom. Be the real you if you only knew what was in you. So, Father, we thank you so much. Thank you that this is the season, this is the year where your children are going to rise up and shine like never before. The world doesn't need more human beings with good ideas. It needs supernatural beings that are beginning to defeat the works of darkness. We thank you that you're raising us up. You're destroying the lies of the enemy that have imprisoned us in darkness. Light Light, 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 light. See it. Even if you have to imagine it, what does it look like when light just begins to flow from your very being? And everything that you've been intimidated by begins to bow its knee. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you. We give you all the glory and we receive what we need to be all that you've created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.